It's not much of a secret that I have a home field apparel problem. Even before we started this show, I couldn't even step foot on a new college campus without making sure there was something from that school's home field collection waiting on my porch when I got home. So we are, understandably, over the moon to partner with home field this season to keep Pitt fans comfy, cozy, and stylish at a fraction of the price by using promo code LOYALSUNS for 15% off your next order. This discount applies site-wide and with unique vintage collections for every school from Pitt to Bama, Jackson State to Colgate, Michigan, Marshall, Marquette, and both Miamis. There's something for every fan. So whether you're buying for a Pitt fan or for a loser freak, use promo code LOYALSUNS at homefieldapparel.com to save big on your next order. Each code applies once per email address, so get those work emails and burners ready. That's homefieldapparel.com. Hello and welcome back to the Loyal Suns show that's at the Loyal Suns on all the social medias. Follow us there, follow us wherever you get your podcasts for pit sports content you won't want to miss. If you hate the transfer portal and coaching carousels, but also kind of love them, this is the place for you. The Loyal Sun Show, safe, sunshiny place for your pit athletics fix, brought to you by Section 5 Squid. My man, what happened? I thought this basketball team was going undefeated and Bob Carrington was going number one overall. It's probably a good thing we didn't touch on basketball a whole lot in the last week or so because there was so much to tidy up from the football season because I think a lot of those takes would be looking a little cold right now. Not saying we're out, we're not selling all of our stock, but we've uh, pumped the brakes a little bit. Yeah, I think if we went back the last time we talked basketball, which was before the NIT season tip off, so uh, before the Florida game, I think I was saying Pitt might be like a top four seed in the tournament. So I backed off that take a little bit. So we already had some cold takes brewing, but um, yeah, so. Catching up here, last time we talked hoops, Pitt was 4-0, heading up to Brooklyn for the NIT season tip-off, and up there they go 1-1, and Um, and I think, you know, they play a Florida team the first night, they were two and a half point underdogs, come away from that game, I think feeling like they lost to a pretty good team, probably a tournament team, Um, ran into a guy who got really hot in, in Walter for for the Gators. Um, and then the next night they come out or the next day, I guess the game was at like th- a 3 PM tip. Uh, they blew out a Oregon state team who was not very good, but a power program nonetheless. So uh, sitting at five and one coming out of the NIT season tip off. I don't think that we felt bad about the basketball team, maybe pumped the brakes a little bit after the Florida loss, but I don't think anyone was, was too worried about where we stood. No, definitely not. I think the consensus going into the Florida game was this is a physical team. We haven't had a physical matchup against like a real team with real division one power five guys. So I don't think anybody was surprised by the way the first half went. We were making shots, but they're all pretty tough. Guys looked a little bit overwhelmed at times. I would say that game was pretty chaotic. It was all over the place, offense, defense, more turnovers, and a lot fewer good looks. 
Yeah. So looking at Florida now, I mean, they sit at four and four. So that's a little, you feel a little less good about where they are. But I mean, they also took the number nine team in the country, Baylor, down to the final minute. Uh, lost by four to Baylor. Watched watched a good bit of the second half of that game. I mean, Baylor, I think, is really good. And Florida was going blow for blow with them. So watching that game, I'm like, okay, Florida's good. They're going to make the tournament, that type of team. And they come out, and then they lose by 11 to Wake Forest. Um, so I think that was a bit of a surprise. Uh, blew a four-point halftime lead to Wake Forest. Maybe the ACC is just really good, per usual. Uh, but maybe... Don't feel as great about losing to that Florida team. Um, if it was just the Florida game, you'd probably accept it. But a lot of the themes from that game carried over into the game we're going to talk about next Missouri game. Right, the Missouri game. And, yeah, we don't have to t- touch on the Oregon State game. I mean, that was just kind of like an ass-whooping. Yeah, uh, I don't think Oregon State's very good. I didn't realize until like the game started, Pitt was looking Great, much easier game than Florida. I look back, I'm like, oh, this Oregon State team won like 11 games last year. That's that's not good. Yeah, I mean, they have a little bit of a damper on that win, but at the same time, they bounce back. Uh, it was good to see that. And I mean, we were six, seven point favorites against Missouri. We thought that we we took our punches against Florida, but hope for a quick adjustment period. They had what, five days off between games almost. Maybe a little bit more. I don't know, my days are all blending together with Thanksgiving, but uh, you th- thought and hoped that Capel would sit down with the young guards, the new guys, and be like, look, relax. Teams are going to get physical with us. And they handled a little bit better against Missouri, but not much better. Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that Missouri game. I mean, Missouri was coming into that five and two. Uh, they had a loss to Memphis in the second game of the season. And then they have a loss to Jackson state. They lost by one to Jackson state, which is not a good one to have on your resume. Uh, those are the typical losses that try to avoid early in the season. Yeah, those so. are the Q four losses that will like, really shit on your net rating or whatever. Once the time comes around, they'll haunt you. They'll definitely haunt you. So uh, coming into this game, I felt like Pitt had Missouri at home. It was a good chance to get a win over an SEC opponent. Um, but it was pretty apparent from the from the jump what Missouri was going to try to do. Um, heard before the game that they play about 12 guys. They go 11, 12 deep. And from the very beginning, they were giving Pitt's guards uh, full-court pressure looks after made baskets. They were up in Bub's grill, up in Jalen's grill, uh, hounding them the length of the floor, getting physical with them. Uh, Pitt was in the one and one pretty early. I want to say there was still like eight, eight or nine minutes left in the first half when Pitt was shooting one and ones. Um, this was a Missouri team. They are very, very hateable. Oh, I think you said something so during much. the game. I mean, like the physical full court pressure, the flopping playing 12 guys, constant subs, uh, and then just like the characters they had on the team. They had like a five foot nine chubby point guard that had zero points and played like probably 30 minutes. They he had played, uh, 23 minutes, was 0 for 6 from the field, 0 for 3 from 3, 0 for 1 from the free throw line, uh, zero points, one rebound, four assists. 
and a turnover. Yeah, that guy, they had that uh, number 35, kind of reminded me of Nasir Robinson, like an undersized big who was doing all these like post spins and just getting easy buckets, drawing fouls. So we'd love to have a guy like that on our team during the game, but hate facing him. And then obviously the 7-5 mega dude. I didn't realize this from Oral Roberts. Yeah, Connor Vanover. Well, he spent a year where else? Arkansas? Yeah. I like in there early and watching warmups, seeing who's on the other team. And I was like, there's no way this guy's good, right? And he played a lot and was a problem. So, yeah, it was an annoying team. But I think the concerning part was they definitely watched the Florida game and thought, extend the defense out beyond the three-point line. Don't let them get into anything easy, and we'll have a pretty good shot. The first half, I know we were all saying it early on, Pitt was playing pretty good defense. A lot of Missouri's made baskets came with under five on the shot clock. Uh, they weren't getting a ton of great looks, but they were just consistently running their offense, getting a little bit of an opening taking advantage of it several times where they would hit a shot at the end of the possession in the first half. And I would, was just like, that was a really good defensive possession. Like, but I think that wore off Yeah, in the second half. Missouri stuck to their guns. They kept doing their offensive motion, screening, swinging around. And they almost got whatever they wanted in the second half. They weren't always making it, but they were getting way better looks than Pitt. Yeah. This was a game where, in the moment, I felt like Jeff Capel was not coaching a very good game. And then when I went back and rewatched it again, I still kind of felt that way. Um, and I hate to be the guy who's like, oh, they need to make changes. Like, there's only so many changes you can make on the fly. Most of your coaching changes are going to come in different, you know, throughout practice, watching film. Hey, let's do this. But like, there were times where, there were multiple possessions where they just let Vanover sit under the hoop and guard whatever big was standing on the block. Would have loved to see them pull him out more. Um, I know at one point they did start to do that a little more. Uh, like Jalen Lowe just took, they got switched on to him and Jalen Lowe just said, clear out and let me go get a bucket on this big dude. He can't move. Would have loved to see more of that and not let Vanover play 21 minutes. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, they were just kind of getting whatever they wanted in the second half. And I, I it did feel like a lot of it was due to the bigs. The bigs felt lost on a lot of the screen and roll stuff. Uh, some easy, just like toss the ball up to the seven foot five guy, let him get an easy dunk. Uh, probably about three of those in the second half. I mean, he only finished with six points, but um, I think that was one of the more disappointing things for me. This game was is this. Probably the third time this year, I would say this game, the Florida game for sure, and the FGCU game where our bigs defensively have just kind of gotten beaten up by opposing front courts. And it was something that we kind of worried about last year, And but Fetty held up pretty well uh, in ACC play, better than we thought. I think that expectation has gone up because of what we saw from him last year, and we just kind of assumed Guillermo putting on some extra weight and another year of playing uh, would show that. But I, we haven't seen really, like, against really good front courts, they, they've been bad. A lot of easy looks. I, I touched on it earlier. 
Missouri was kind of getting whatever they wanted in the second half. So many times, uh, East number 55 from Missouri, he would just, he was so shifty. He would get by his guy and get a look, or they'd catch someone out of position and swing it around. And on the contrast, it didn't look like Pitt was getting any open looks. And when they were, they were working really hard for it. Obviously, they had looks and they just missed them. Bad shooting game from Bub. Bad shooting game from Ish. I mean, if they shoot average, probably win that game. Yeah, I the, didn't feel like there was much flow against the zone. A lot of dribbling around. Bub dribbling 20 times. Jalen dribbling 20 times. Um, I mean, Blake went 5 for 8 from 3, and there were like portions of this game where he would go possessions without really getting a look. Speaking of portions of the game without doing anything, not just Blake Hinson, turning point of the game, 11 minutes, 52 seconds left in the game. Blake Hinson makes a three. Next time Pitt makes a field goal, 3.30 left in the game. It's over eight minutes. No field goals. And even during that stretch, didn't shoot free throws great. The theme of the year early was free throw percentage wasn't great. The bigs haven't been shooting great. Fetty hasn't been able to hit anything. Even Blake missed a lot. And I think Pitt started off, it was either 9 of 10 or 10 of 11. They were shooting over 90% to start the game. And then there was that stretch where Fetty missed back-to-back one-on-ones. Blake, I think he went two of four. Yep. Those points add up. Yeah. Yeah. And overall, I mean, 25 to 31 from the line, that's 80.6%. Um, you'll take that every game of the year, uh, all the way through. But they were in oppor- in inopportune times. Like you said, Fetty, he missed the front end of the one on one twice. Uh Blake, his were both after those two big threes down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, but he missed the first of two shots on on two straight trips to the line. So they were kind of momentum killers, kind of took the air out of the building a little bit. Um, so, yeah, inopportune missed shots. Uh, but, yeah, like I, I think a lot of what people have been saying, Pitt fans, like, okay, well, you can punk this team now. We, we've seen the recipe now from Florida. We've seen it from Miz- Missouri. Mm-hmm. You better believe, like, these these guys watching film, you know, you're going to be playing 22-year-olds, 23-year-olds. They're going to hear about this 18-year-old kid, Bob Carrington, who's supposed to be a lottery pick. We see a tweet before the game. Uh, Stephen Thompson tweeted, you know, there were nine NBA teams in attendance. Those older guys aren't going to just let him go around and dribble around and shoot, fade away, step back, kick his leg. Like, teams are going to get after him. And it was it was clear Missouri ha- it was intentionally getting after him early in the game, trying to get under his skin a little bit. Um, so it seems like at the moment, the book is out on how to slow down pit. They looked unstoppable in the first four games, putting up a hundred can of corn. If you're Jeff Capel, what adjustment do you make? Because Clemson's coming to town. It's going to be a tough game. So I don't know how much it's an adjustment, but they they I think they do need to figure something out with Bub. Um, and they were trying to work him a little bit more off the ball. It felt like early in the Missouri game. Um, but 
getting him in some spots to maybe just get some easy buckets. I feel like most of his buckets this year are coming, taking a guy off a dribble, a tough, not even tough. They're really good moves and he gets himself good looks, but these pull up jumpers, I would love to get him coming off some screens, easy catch and shoots. Uh, maybe, I don't know, get him a backdoor list, let him see the ball go in early in the game. Um, and then for our big guys, I, we need to get some more consistency out of them. And once again, I don't know if there's a Jeff Cable thing, but I, Fetty looked really good in the first few games against inferior competition. And he held his own last year in the ACC. But I'm going to be interested to see at what point, if any, this season, if Guillermo ultimately is the guy that's going to take, if they're going to split minutes evenly, if Guillermo ends up being the guy who plays the majority of the minutes, um, because right now for the past few games, Oregon State aside, uh, Fetty's kind of looked like an offensive liability. I was thinking the same thing there. There were a few times, very few. You obviously love rebounding when you go with one of the twins from Federico, but on offense, it seemed like they needed just one more option. So, Maybe on some of those pick and rolls, pick and pops, you give it to Guillermo. And maybe he doesn't have a wide open look, but he's getting to the next guy real quick. He's a lot better of a playmaker, I guess you could say, than Fetty, obviously. So maybe that'll get the defense off of the guards a little bit more because they're obviously all over Bob ish. They're all over him. He was uncharacteristically frantic. So maybe getting the ball out of their hands a little bit, some more quick passes will force the defense to maybe ease up on defense. I don't know. I was resorting to the point of saying we need to flop almost, you know, like the Dwayne Wade, like pump fake, get into a guy like the James Harden, like lift your arm up, draw a foul. If they do that early on, teach Bub how to do that. Get two early fouls on the other team's point guard and, they got to lay off a little bit. Yeah. That's yeah, one mean, way of countering it, but you also hope that they'll figure it out without having to draw cheap fouls. I was watching that, watching that game on, what was that, Tuesday night now? Tuesday? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like during that stretch when they couldn't get a bucket, or even late when, when the uh, Missouri was in the double bonus. I was like, this is where the ball would be in Jamarius Burton's hands. And he would just go draw a foul and get to the free throw line and get, get us two quick points that we need or break this drought. Or he'd, he'd put someone in the, in the short post and uh, hit a turnaround jumper, like the big easy bucket. So they don't have that guy this year yet. Um, I think Blake might turn into that guy at some point. Who knows? Bub, I mean, once again, he's he's still getting acclimated. He started so hot that I, I feel like the expectations got a little uh, just unrealistic, to be honest. I had people saying that he's the most talented player who's played here since, uh, like, Jerome Lane or whoever they were referencing, maybe even going back further. I mean, let's pump the brakes a little bit on the kid, but I still think he's really good. Like, some of the plays he was making, passes, hitting wide-open shooters, uh, including like Ish Leggett for a, a shot that, or yeah, Ish Leggett, Leggett, Leggett. What's the official pron- pronunciation on there? I think it's Leggett. Anyway, 
uh, late in the game, hits Ish for a wide open three. Some nice little like over the head hits him. No one within ten feet of him, and Ish just bricks it. I mean, that's a shot that if it goes in, you're down one with thirty some seconds left. Um, End of the day, not a great game. We lost by seven, but like you said, there shot falls differently. We're in that, and we might pull off the comeback. So we'll wrap this up on a positive note. Pitt was down. They got punched a bunch. Blake stepped up. We saw in the huddle. I don't know if they showed it on TV, but in the arena, during that TV timeout, Blake was animated. He was in their ass. He was flailing his arms around. You could tell he was yelling. He might have been stomping his feet a little bit. Like, it ain't over. Get out there, get a stop, score. And they did. They well, Blake, Blake got the rebound. The Blake mm-hmm. gets the rebound, comes down, hits a three, gets another stop, next possession. Blake gets a mismatch, hits another three. That was probably the loudest I've heard the Pete all year. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I thought we were running for sure after that. Yeah, I thought there was no chance we lost. Point there. Very winnable game. And Ish Leggett and Bub Carrington combined to go one of 12 from three. I don't think that's going to happen ever again. Yeah. Knock yeah. on wood. Those guys are solid shooters. I'm not worried about their shooting. Just one of those games. So basketball is yeah. a funny game. It's It can be really simple sometimes. Sometimes as simple as what team hits their shots. Mm-hmm. So Clemson will be a tougher test, but they had some time to regroup. Six and oh, Clemson. They just took down Bama at Bama. Yeah, I think this is a good Clemson team. I thought it was absolute bullshit. They didn't make the tournament last year. But yeah, and you know who they added? That pesky little dweeb from Syracuse. That's right. Joe Girard. Pitt fans, if you didn't know, you're you're gonna be like rubbing your eyes like Well who Girard? No, the this isn't Syracuse wearing the orange and everything. Nope. Joe Girard is n- still in college somehow, and he's a Clemson Tiger. So let's bounce back. Let's bounce back. Also, side note, it is such bullshit that the ACC put this in the dead center of a Steeler game. Our ACC opener is mm. in the middle of a 1 p.m. Steeler kickoff. Like, I know the ACC has a ton of scheduling stuff going on. I know that this is going to be the day after the ACC football championship, which they, I guess, assume pit pit football would have been in, so they wouldn't want to schedule a game on Saturday. But, like, come on. You you have a a university in the city of Pittsburgh where the Pittsburgh Steelers play, and you're going to put a 2 p.m. game for their ACC opener on a Steelers Sunday? It's just unbelievable to me. Uh so I, unfortunately, I think the crowd's going to be pretty rough at that one on Sunday. Yeah, I don't know what we're going to do. I'm going to be honest. I I want to watch both games. So mm-hmm. unless I pull up the uh, YouTube TV on my phone to watch the Steelers and the Pete, the, the reception in the Pete ain't always the greatest. So I'm going to have to buy a suite. If anyone has any connections, we'll take it. Yeah. Let's bounce back. Go one and zero in the ACC. Get back in the win column. Season's over, but unfortunately, we still have to talk a little bit about this football program. So there's a lot going on right now. Immediately after the season, 
a lot of changes taking place uh, after the firing of Frank Signetti. The offensive coordinator search is in full swing. Squid, what are you hearing? What are we seeing? Well, everyone's calling for Mike Shanahan, obviously. Is there any smoke to that? I don't know. Well, Kurt Signetti, and very funny, actually. It, I didn't realize who James Madison's head coach was until, like, they were 8-0, and and I was looking up their coaching staff because Mike Shanahan, T- Tino Sinceri, and then I mm-hmm. looked, I was like, their head coach is Signetti's brother. I think everyone had that oh-no moment around that point. Once we knew Signetti's gone for good, had James Madison's looking pretty good. And it's just, ah, uh, why? Anybody else? <laughs> so, uh, Curtis Signetti took the Indiana job today. As we're recording around 6 p.m. on Thursday. So, Kurt Signetti took that job a few hours ago. I don't know if Shanahan's going to go with him, uh, but I don't know. It 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 seems like it could be a it seems like one of those things that's like almost too obvious. And like every Pitt fan was like, "Hey, James Madison had a good offense. Their OC used to play at Pitt. He should come to Pitt." Yeah, but little do people know there are good coaches out there that do not have ties to Pittsburgh. Who don't we say ends. We might need a non-Pittsburgher. I mean, we had Whipple was with the Steelers for a minute. Signetti, Yinzer. We might need to get a clean slate here. Yeah, so, I mean, just about an hour before we started recording, not even, uh, Noah Hiles actually reported, put out a story about this OC search. And one of the names he dropped was Brian McClendon, uh, the passing game coordinator at none other than Georgia, back-to-back national champions. Uh, He's a Georgia alum, former receiver there, and has been on their staff. So that was an interesting name for me to see. Uh, He's 39 years old, uh, obviously on the Georgia staff. Kind of seems like... It would just be an absolute home run of a hire. So I don't know if this is like a hopeful, like we're going to make a call to this guy, or if this is a legitimate candidate who'd be interested in taking the pitch up. Pretty nice surprise. I think everyone's first thought, I mean, Mike Shanahan was the obvious candidate that the fans would want. I don't think there's been anything concrete saying that there's like any link or realistic possibility that'll happen. Who knows? Also, Joe Moorhead was a name. Every time there's an opening in Pittsburgh, he's the new name that everyone's like, ah, Joe Moorhead. Maybe he'll come back. Maybe he'll come around. I don't want Joe Moorhead. That would be a lame hire. But the one where there's actual some smoke, maybe. Pretty cool. Someone from Georgia, obviously, is exciting. He's been at Georgia for a bit in a few roles. He was the offensive coordinator and receiver coach at South Carolina. And he was the pass game coordinator receiver coach at Oregon. I also saw that he coached for a minute there. I was going to say he interim head coached in two bowl games. I think Oregon and I think one for one for let me double check. Yeah. He's one and one in bowl games as an interim coach. 
for Georgia in 2015, it looks like. Yeah. Okay. So he interim head coach a few times, and after the passing game coordinator, receiving coach at Oregon, he had a year stint at Miami as the co-OC and receivers coach. And this past year, he returned to Georgia as the pass game coordinator. So I like that resume. Young guy, Georgia is a great recruiting bed, so hopefully he has some connections there. Pleasant surprise. I don't know if it's just me. I had some low expectations going into this coaching search. Yeah, I I always have this feeling in the back of my head that Narduzzi's just going to do what he's done the last couple times. He's fired, hired hired offensive coordinators and just old old lame like traditional football coaches. One thing I will like Whipple. I mean, he was old as hell. He at least ran a system that was like, we're going to air the ball out. So yeah, if little... you watch it, you're like, yeah, that's college football. Right. Yeah. And that's all I'm really asking for with this hire. Well, I'm asking for a couple other things. My, my number one priority would be please hire an OC that runs an offense that looks like it's college football in 2023. Mm. Uh, my number two request is that it's not just an old fat white guy. Or like Narduzzi's buddy that he was a linebacker with at like New Hampshire or something. Right. Like his goon from Youngstown. Yeah, just a just that one of his buddies, like enough of the buddy buddy BS. Go hire some young hotshot OC who wants to run up the score. Um so yeah, I mean I'm sure by the time we release this there'll be four other names that are thrown out there for this job. But nonetheless, like very excited that a guy like Brian McClendon is in the conversation. And it, it makes me feel like they're going in the right direction with, with the type of hire they're trying to make. Yeah, and hopefully they will wrap this up soon. I imagine they will. I don't know how long Narduzzi's going to draw this out, but you want to get a guy quick because the portal, it's open, it's in full effect. We've had some dudes leave, so... So what's the list at right now, Dylan? You have that? You listed the word. Um, So the complete list. uh, So I threw the names on here that I knew off the top of my head. Like, all right, we're looking at Nate Temple, DeAndre Jules, Bengali Kamara, Brandon George, Buddy Mack, Aiden Henningham. Um, Some other names out there that I'm leaving out. Might be it at the moment. Um, We're missing one. I'm sorry, but that probably Stefan Hall. Stefan Hall. There we go. It was the latest. Um, so, if there's anyone else that's announced before we started recording, then they clearly haven't made enough of an impact for me to remember their name. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the theme of the list of guys who've left so far. No disrespect to any of these guys, but. Um, other than I would say DeAndre Jules is probably the biggest loss because we're losing what three other defensive tackles to graduation who are out of eligibility. Um, so DeAndre Jules would have been the returner and probably the main guy in the middle there. That one kind of hurts a little bit. Uh, but the rest of that list, I mean, Nate Temple played a lot for them this year, but also like not super productive. Uh, Bengali, Kamara, I, I know one person will be upset, Chris Peak. Be upset that he didn't live up to his NFL hype. 
now that he's gone. We'll have to have a new fall camp MVP. Back-to-back uh, preseason player of the year. Mm-hmm. So losing him, when he was on the field, there was a lot left to be desired. So I'm interested to see where he goes because there might be some potential there, but at Pitt, I think both sides are like okay with going their separate ways. Stephon Hall was one I was intrigued by because it seemed like they were a little bit high on him coming into the season. They thought maybe he'd get some reps in the secondary. He was a young guy that might crack the rotation, but it seems like if he's transferring, might have fell down a few pegs on the depth chart there. So, Yeah, I also think he was just the odd man out. I mean, of of the four safeties they talked about before the year, Donovan McMillan, P.J. O'Brien, Javon McIntyre, and Stephon Hall. I mean, he was clearly the odd man out this year. The last one. Oh, there's two more. The linebackers. Lost a lot of linebackers, so it'll be interesting to see if they get another in the portal. You have to imagine they will and see what young guys step up, but I guess Aiden Henningham was annoyed by getting his position changed like four times. And I was like, you know what? I'm getting out of here before you move you back to receiver. And Brandon George, a guy that did we forget he had another year of eligibility? On I the certainly list, did. On the list of guys who I can't believe they still have eligibility, he might be number one out of this group. So it would be nice to have him back. Yeah, definitely would have been a starter. But kind of like Kamara. We'll, we'll see what we got. Braylon Lovelace, Jordan Bass. I think it's this might be a little bit of a sign of like, it's their time to shine. They mm-hmm. both played. I mean, Lovelace played a lot this year and was productive. Uh, and then Jordan Bass, obviously, probably the who people thought coming in from last year was the biggest recruit of the 2023 class. So those are the guys who are gone. So what are your impressions? Like I'm For, not lock and change, but right now, if this is the end, how are we feeling? I feel fine. Like I'm not going to, not to be disrespectful to these guys, but th- this was a three and nine team. I don't think, now, obviously, there's talent on the team. There's things that could have changed that could have been better. You don't want to lose. But like like I said, other than Jules, I think that one hurts a little bit, but also to be expected. like We haven't had one that's hit the portal yet, and I've been like, shit. Like, that's, that's a hit. We're going to be a, hurting from that last next that year. That hurts. Yep, exactly. So I haven't had any of it. I mean, honestly, from this year's roster – who would you actually be like torn up over if they left? So I actually did this exercise. Let me know if I'm forgetting any or if there's other guys that we might disagree on. It's a lot fewer than you'd think. Since Solomon the Shields, Deion Hayes, Kenny Johnson, Kamada Mumpfield, Rodney Hammond, PJ O'Brien. Nate Yarnell, Sam Okanlola, Jordan Bass, Devin Bartholomew, and probably Donovan McMillan. I, know, I guess he really can't go anywhere because he just transferred here, but obviously yeah, I was gonna say, you want to keep him. I was going to say, if I'm looking at your list, I, I would definitely add him, um, but I also get leaving him off because he really, I mean, he could transfer and sit out a year, but not really realistic for him. So, And then the offensive line, I, 
there were so many different combinations of guys playing. I don't even know who was good out of that group. So if somebody left, like, all right, well, we played like 10 different guys in the line this year. We'll figure it out. They weren't good enough for me to notice that, that guy's good. Am I missing anybody? Um, maybe maybe Lovelace. You played a lot. Lovelace for sure. No, I think that would hurt if he left. I think he's a stud. Um, but yeah, I mean, of guys who still have eligibility who can leave. The, yeah, like these are the ones that I would be like, damn, that's that's a hit. Um, now there's other guys like, you know, I wouldn't love to hear that Lamar Seymour or one of these other freshman wide receivers left, but, um, yeah, these are the guys who I'm like next year's team would be severely impacted if they left. So yeah, good list. It's not huge. Quite frankly, a good bit of roster turnover might be what this team needs considering, once again, they went three and nine. So we'll see how the offseason shakes out. This is just going to be the norm for college football in the year 2023 and beyond. Um, Pitt still has a, a good number of roster spots that they need to clear up for incoming freshmen. And then I'm sure they're going to want to add some guys in the portal. So I'm sure the dust hasn't settled here yet. Uh, but yeah, this is this is what college football is. It's the wild, wild west. It's all free agency. Anyone who tosses their name in the portal can see what other teams want to offer them dollar dollar amount wise, and that's where we are. Please keep Gavin Martholomew somehow. Yeah, that's the big one. Please keep Gavin. Pay him what he wants. Get him whatever he needs, and find him an OC. Hey, Brian McClendon. He he turned Brock Bowers into potential top five pick so gavin bartholomew why not a lot to like there so yeah please get us a good oc please keep gavin and pit basketball please beat clemson on sunday as always hail loyal sons of pittsburgh